Hi, I'm Kay Nicholson and I work for Caithness Voluntary Group and I am here on behalf of Here for Caithness talking to Susan Lyons about HUG and the work they do in Caithness. Hi, I'm Susan Lyons. I've worked for HUG uh, for five years and last year took over as the manager of Spirit Advocacy, which incorporates HUG. So Susan, tell us a little bit about HUG and what it is you do and, and how you can help. HUG, Action for Mental Health, has been around for 25 years. It was started by Michael Gray Morgan um, and it is all about making sure that the voices of people with lived experience are heard in the work that's going on to design, develop, improve services for people living with mental illness. Um, HUG is part of Spirit Advocacy. Spirit Advocacy is the charity and Spirit has uh, three projects, so HUG Action for Mental Health, People First Highland, which is a collective advocacy organisation for people with learning disabilities, and SPEAK, which is a young person's collective advocacy organisation. So we're an independent collective advocacy organisation, so we don't do anything else really except collective advocacy. And what that means is that we gather together people's thoughts and opinions and voice about the issues that they're facing, and we feed that back into services. We also um, take part in national consultations. We are um, we do creative work around uh, challenging stigma, and we're about trying to improve services, treatment, and lives of people living with mental illness across Ireland. So it's a membership organisation. So we currently have about 300 members right across Highland. Um, and we cover the sort of NHS Highland area, but not the Argyle bit. So it's it's the, the Highland area. Um, we are, uh, our members are involved in every bit of the work that we do. So we have an advisory group, which is made up of members living with mental illness who help us decide on the priorities that we have. We, Our board of directors has members with lived experience of mental illness and of learning disability who sit on our board of, of directors too. So our members are involved at every level in the work that we do. So how do you work? What's your typical day-to-day? -day? Um, how do you support the community and, and what do you do in Caithness specifically that can be useful here in the community? Um, how we work is we run, uh, every week we have a meeting online because that's what we have to do now with COVID. So every week we have a meeting online. One week it's a coffee shop where we just go on and have a chat about whatever's been going on and, and what's been happening. And the next week it's what we call our thinking. And our thinking is, is where we gather people's voices on a variety of different things. So it might be that people want to talk about the mental health law review that's ongoing at the moment, or human rights, or um, the commissioning of services by the Chesham. It might be that people want to talk about COP26 that's happening now. It might be that they want to talk about something that's been in the Inverness Courier or the, or the John O'Groke Journal. Um, that they want to, to talk about. It, it's as broad as that. Um, we then collect those voices and we anonymize the information that we gather and we produce 
reports or we put them on our, our Facebook page or we feed it into consultation documents that the Scottish Government produce or we, you know, we do whatever we need to do with it to make sure that that voice is heard. Um, it's really important that the voice of people with lived experience is heard as widely as possible because we're talking about the most vulnerable people in society people who are stigmatized often people who are, um, are away from the mainstream and and without collective advocacy they may not get their voices heard so the advocacy sounds great. I mean, it's a really useful resource, but can you define it a little bit? What's the sort of things that you can't help with? Um, where would you need to pass that off to another organisation for support? What we don't do is one-to-one -one advocacy. So if, for instance, um, somebody needed help with their DWP form or with their um, complaint to the NHS, they would go somewhere else for that. And we usually direct people to Advocacy Highland or other advocacy organisations that do individual advocacy. We're all about collective advocacy. There's a power in the collective voice that doesn't isn't always there when individuals speak up. So you can, how can I describe this? So for instance, if one person makes a complaint and another person makes a complaint and another person makes a complaint, they don't know everybody else. But when you when you approach a problem from a collective advocacy point of view, you have the power of a number of people behind you and it's harder for organisations or individuals or services to say, oh, we can't talk about that because it's, you know, we can't talk about individual cases. We, we have a collective voice. Um, when the collective voice is, is heard and acted upon, the result is usually significantly better than it would be if it's ignored. Um, so, so that's it really. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. I'm just sort of whittled on there. <laughs> that's it in a nutshell. So hugs are real assets for our community. How can people get involved if they want to share their lived experiences? Um, I think anybody can get involved in, in what we do. Um, generally, we've already said, generally, some of our meetings are for people who are living with mental ill health. Um, and so, for example, we're doing a meeting on the Scottish Suicide Strategy Consultation tonight. Um, my colleague is, is running that meeting. And um, that we've actually said that's for people with lived experience. Um, and the reason for that is that we try and create a safe space for people. It's not about creating a consensus. So we don't all have to agree that the right action is x if somebody says actually i don't agree with that we were talking about peer support recently we've done a big survey on our membership um and i've just producing a report which will be ready by wednesday she says <laughs> um so for instance peer support you were showing me the peer support um resources on there lots of people said we need peer support we need more peer support please can we have some peer support please can you help us get peer support but then somebody else said i don't want peer support i want proper professional clinical services 
And that is as a valid point, even though 10 other people might have said something else, that's still a valid point. So none of the work that we do is about creating a consensus. It's about making sure that people's voices are heard and help to shape services. It's an excellent point about um, all the little voices coming together. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I mean, if you think about writing to your local councillor, for instance, mm -hmm. if everybody writes their individual little letter, some of the voices might get a little bit lost. Mm -hmm. Some people might not have the right um, way to focus their mm -hmm. energy and, and might struggle with how they would word it. Yeah. So that's where you get a lot of like the template emails. Yeah. And the template letters yeah because it makes people feel like they're part of something that's right bigger and then that that brings the attention as well so but on the other hand there is the other sense of a personal story is always yeah great so it's great that they can come together as a collective but still have individual yeah. voices as part of that and we do that quite a lot so we have members who are perfectly happy and eager to share the, their lived experience um and we get involved in, so one of the things that we've been involved in for a long time is training mental health officers. So we work with um, Robert Gordon's University, who does some, who does the mental health officer training. And some of our members who are happy to share their lived experience go along to that and we support them to do that. Um, we try and help our members, support our members to, to, take part in in national strategy meetings so we have members who we support who are on the who've been on the experience panels for the scottish social security network we have a member who sits on the poverty alliance community activist action group to because poverty and mental illness go hand in hand quite often so we support our members to do those sorts of things as well um, and when our members go although they're sharing their lived experience their own lived experience they're often carrying the weight of of the knowledge that they have from the work that that, that we've done as a collective um, one of the things we did during lockdown, I did say we don't provide a service, and that's absolutely true, we don't. However, we have started to facilitate some peer support groups. So we run a women's peer support group on a Monday morning online and a men's peer support group on a Tuesday evening online. The point of those is that we have started the process, but those will be handed over to the to the members um, at the point that they're ready to do that. So um, we've done that with the help of the Scottish Recovery Network. So all our staff, although we're all skilled advocates and we're all skilled in uh, peer support, um, we all did the peer-to-peer training that the SRN did to make sure that we were absolutely ready to roll and to enable us to roll that out to our peer support groups. So we're hoping to roll that out over the next wee while and then they'll once they're ready and confident they will take on the running of their own groups and we will just sort of support that if you like. Yeah that's brilliant because sometimes the hardest thing is taking that first step yeah, yeah. and just getting it going. Yeah. So to have that support there and start it off and get the ball rolling and make people feel like they're starting to go along too, mm -hmm. that's the that's a great first step. And then that is run from the inside. Yeah. That's ideal, really. So we we send a newsletter out. We try and send four out a year, um, but we're a very small charity. There's only 
she says six of us, I think. One, two. You'd think I'd know this one. One, two, three, four, five, six of us. Um, and so capacity can be an issue. Um, we've all moved to working from home, so we don't have an office anymore, which has been a really big change for us. We had an office in Inverness where we held out our fortnight of thinkings. Um, and giving that up has been quite a, a wrench for not just for us as staff but for our members because it was very much a, a, a warm safe place where we could talk about whatever it was we we needed to talk about um but it wasn't covid compliant in any way shape or form we just couldn't you know we've had 15 people in a room half the size of this we couldn't get away with that today so we've had to give that up um and that has you know that's a that's led to lots of different things and different feelings and, and we've had to, had to find different ways of engaging with our members. Um, I think that's important to highlight that not everything has changed because of a financial change within no, an organisation. No. Some of it is just, you just can't make a room big enough no. to socially distance no. 20 people. No. It just is never going to happen. So there is, there is obviously the element of organisations have had to adapt to a change in income, mm -hmm. but it's not all about that. No. Um, sometimes it is just that the space wasn't right. I mean, we've had a similar thing in our offices. We would usually have shared our office with the befriending team, yeah. but we've done turnabout in days just to mm -hmm. keep everybody safe. Um, and we're using rooms like this. Yeah, um, that's exactly what we're having to do. The core business, our core business is getting out of hearing from people. Ooh, and we've had to take a very cautious, you know, approach to opening up again. Some of our staff members are shielding. Um, one of our staff members is, is quite a young man, so he didn't get vaccinated till much later. So we've had to take a, a really cautious approach to opening up. But coming out and speaking to people is so important in what we, we do. Um, in 2019, we did a, a very big piece of work on crisis um, and what was happening when people are trying to access support because they're in crisis. Um, that it's on our website, that report. It's a, it's a huge piece of work. Um, and we travelled around Highland and we spoke to 150 odd people and, and, you know, about their lived experience of that. And what we're doing now is speaking to people about a, a little bit about that, about what's happened has anything changed is it the same has it become more difficult as a result of covid and lockdown and what needs to happen for people to be able to live life well with a mental illness and that's that's quite important because you know again there's a whole lot of there was always going to be that's my blood sugar along there was always going to be one wasn't there there's a whole lot of stuff around mental well-being, but sometimes people living with a diagnosis of a mental illness get lost in that a little bit, I think. Um, so all our members have uh, a lived experience of mental illness rather than just poor mental well-being. Not that I'm saying one is better than the other, I'm just saying they're different. Mm -hmm. um, so... Um, we surveyed our, our members and we got 68 replies and um, all those replies came from people living with mental illness in Highland. 
So that survey and that report, which will be out on Wednesday, highlights overwhelmingly that people living with mental illness in Highland feel like they are not listened to, that they're not important, that people don't take them seriously. And that's a, that's something that we'll be feeding back into the NHS and trying to work with the NHS to look at how we can involve people with lived experience in trying to do something about that. So. No mean feat getting um, lived experience integrated into what we kind of see as everyday things, mm -hmm. but it's a really important thing to yeah. do. And so this is what I've been speaking to the Scottish Recovery Network as mm -hmm. well. Um, we, I don't know how much you've heard about this previously, and apologies if I'm, if I'm repeating, but our um, CAPIS Mental Health and Wellbeing Action Group, mm -hmm. um, it started off with in the region of 17, 20 members, and it's grown and grown, and the list is now um, thinks that Capus Care is coming about as well, being about 73 members strong at the last count. Mm -hmm. um, not everybody makes it to every meeting, obviously, but everybody's on the mailing list. Everybody gets the minutes and their chance to circulate what they're doing and what they're up to. And we've been trying over the last six months, um, mostly, it has been going on for a year, but over the last six months specifically to integrate more lived experience and, and more people who are not on advisory boards, who are not on all the other places that you get to have your say mm -hmm. and just to come along and be a part of it. And there is the understanding there, obviously, of if you're having a bad day, you're having a bad day. It doesn't matter what meeting is on, yeah. um, but do your best to accommodate. There are, there are pitfalls with lived experience work. And some of those are that people become um, fed up of saying the same thing and nobody listening. But there is a cost to sharing your lived experience. And, and, and that's not a financial cost always, although it is sometimes a financial cost. But it is about an emotional cost and, and having the support there to support people before during and after they've shared their lived experience is really important. Um, and, and that's one of the things that HUG does really well. It supports people to be able to share their lived experience. Um, I have my own lived experience of poor mental health uh, and of poverty. And I've, you know, I, I sit, now I sit on the board of the Poverty Alliance as a person with lived experience. Um, and I've spoken at, at health and social care um, at the health and social care alliance and poverty alliance events around Scotland in the days we were meeting face to face. Yeah, and um, the the cost of doing that can be significant, and I know that. Um, and so it's, we're very very careful with with how we support people to do that work. Um, and, and you know you talked about a meeting with 73 people to, to be a person even online who shares your lived experience particularly if you're not already involved in all the other things like you know the advisory boards and the board of directors if you're not involved in all that to share your lived experience at that sort of size of group is incredibly daunting um, and you know, so we, we, we are very careful of how we support people to do that. Um, but it is really important that 
um, people's voices are heard. We, we've had this discussion, um, I sit on a few NHS groups and that's a, you know, that's always a discussion. How do you encourage people to share their lived experience when they come along to a meeting and there's 50 people on a Teams call, including a clinical director of this or the head of that or the head of the other? It's really Absolutely. daunting, really daunting. Especially when you see the people on the invite list. For instance, there could be 73 people on yeah. the invite list. Not everybody is going to accept, no. but as soon as you've seen that there's 73 people potentially in front of you, you think, wow, this, this is perhaps bigger than mm -hmm. I'm able to cope with just now. Yeah. It's maybe, um, you know, you, you prepare for that. And mentally, you, you prepare for it, you go through the motions for it, you get there, and there's only about 20 people in the room. Mm -hmm. From the flip side of that, you can look at it as that person could then be thinking, is it because there's somebody speaking of lived experience mm -hmm. and nobody wants to come along? Yeah. That's often not the case. What, yeah. So I'd like to really be transparent about the, the fact that in these meetings, yeah, that does have a massive membership list in some cases, but really there's usually about a core of about 20, 30 people that come along. Yeah. And okay, that can still be really intimidating, but it's not to always think of the number. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. And I, I understand that. Um, one of the things that... that um, we're able to do is if you wanted to get a group together of people with lived experience we're happy to facilitate that um, and to support people in that group um, to, to come along we would be happy to do that for for Cadenet, uh or Sky we've done that for Sky we've done it in other places as well so you know that's the sort of work that HUG does we are independent advocates so you get what you get, <laughs> you know, um, and and people don't always like what we have to say, but it's not our job mm -hmm. to filter it or dress it up or say it nicely or or whatever. You get what you get, what's and all. That's that's the way it is. Um, but we're a resource for organisations like yourself, just like RGU. Um, calling us to help with their NHO training or um, we're doing the Scottish Patient Safety Programme Survey for New Craigs at the moment. It never they, just rolls off the tongue, does it? Anyway? <laughs> you know, um, so we're doing that for them um, and they'll get what they get. Mm -hmm. Regardless, the report will say what people say whether they think we think they'll like it or not. It's not for me to judge or for any of our development. No, as long as it's honest, that is the important thing. Is it doesn't doesn't matter necessarily how it's framed no. at the end. It's that it came from the right places. Um, there's no point in filtering it or dressing it down. It is what it is. Um, yeah. So, well, that sounds really positive actually as a way forward to be able to. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you wanted to, if you wanted, you know, if you, if you as an organisation wanted to work with us to to pull together a lived experience group, we'd be happy to work with you to do that. I never need an excuse to come up here. <laughs> I'm always happy to come. Even it feels like bouncing off the road. <laughs> <laughs> well, I lived here. I lived here from lived in work from 1997 to 2004, and uh, it still feels like coming home. It's just bizarre. <laughs> it's amazing how many people say that actually. Mm -hmm. um, 
it obviously has just an attractiveness that is unfathomable to some areas. <laughs> but, um, well, I loved living here, so I never need an excuse to come back. Um, so we'd be happy to work with you on, on trying to organise that. Very good. That's great. That's a really positive way to end things, actually, is mm -hmm. to, to wrap it up there, and we'll just see where that can take us. Okay. Lovely. Thank you very much, Susan. You're welcome.